we have already noticed this particular letter, this personal letter, is an appeal by the Apostle Paul to a man who owes him a lot under God spiritually. The Apostle Paul has been a mentor to him. He's been a great friend to him. And now there's a situation that has arisen where Paul is asking this man for a favor. And that favor involves the slave Onesimus. This book really revolves around several characters. One gives his name to the book, Philemon, who was the master of Onesimus. Then you have Onesimus himself, the slave who ran away, who probably stole his master's goods, but who, when he was in the city of Rome, was encountered somehow by the Apostle Paul, and his dealings with him resulted in his conversion. So the Lord took this man who was a profligate, unprofitable, runaway slave and made him into his servant. The third person, of course, who is pivotal to the book is Paul himself, the apostle. And he's the one who wrote the letter, and he writes the letter with this purpose that there might be a reconciliation effected between Philemon and his erstwhile slave. That's really what this book is about. Paul is writing, he is appealing to Philemon to have mercy on this man. And as you read the content here, it reminds you very much of the gospel. Because in the gospel, you have the sinner, represented here by the profligate Onesimus, those that have done wrong, those that have, as it were, run away uh, and gotten into sin. They're represented, of course, by those who don't know the Lord. But you have a reconciliation that is brought about by this man making amends for what he has done. And the Apostle Paul here is the one who appears to represent Christ more than any other in the book. Especially when you look at these words that he wrote in the epistle, in verse 18 and verse 19. Speaking about Onesimus, he says this, If he hath wronged thee, if he's done wrong against you, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Put that against my name. I will bear responsibility for that. I will take that debt of his as my own. And doesn't that remind us of what we were preaching this morning? This is exactly what the Lord Jesus has done with our sins. He has taken our sins and our sorrows and he's made them his very own, bearing that burden to Calvary where he suffered and died alone. The Lord Jesus Christ says, in effect, what Paul is saying here. If that sinner has wronged thee, Father, or oweth thee aught, and we are in debt to God, he says, put that on mine account. Put that against my name. I will bear the sin. I will be responsible for that. And then he says this in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. I will repay it. We owed a debt we could not pay. 
He paid the debt we di- he did not owe. And thank God it has resulted in our salvation. As we read this epistle, we discover that it has something to say about these various characters. Philemon, we learned some things about him last time. How that he was a wealthy man, obviously. He was a slave owner. He had a house that could accommodate a whole bunch of people for church services. He was a rich man. We also find that there's this person called Onesimus. Paul explains who he is, tells us what he has done. And then there's the Apostle Paul himself. And I just want to mention here, when it speaks of Paul himself, he uses for the third time the word receive. Look at verse 12. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. Then look at verse 15. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. But the third mention of this word is in verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And again, Paul here is elevating Onesimus in this verse 17. Receive him as myself, even as a partner. Now that's quite a request. When you consider that Onesimus doesn't naturally enjoy that kind of standing, he's a slave. Slaves in those days were chattel. They were viewed as a commodity, as something that you paid money for and used. Slaves were not normally considered as people. They were many times treated as subhuman, although I hasten to add that would not have been the case with Philemon, because Philemon was a Christian. He was a Christian slave owner, and therefore the experience of Onesimus would not have been that of many. But just looking at it naturally, he didn't enjoy any standing in society. Slaves were as nothing in the Roman Empire. They were not viewed as having any sort of standing whatsoever. No rights. But here Paul says to Philemon, not only give him human rights, but receive him as myself. I want you to treat him the way you would treat me. That's quite a request. Even as a partner. He says, if you count me as your partner in the Lord's work, then I want you to receive Onesimus as such. This is a remarkable thing that Paul is elevating this man to the same rank as Philemon, his master, and Paul, the apostle. He is to be welcomed back as a partner, as a co-laborer for Christ. And you see what Paul is emphasizing here is what he emphasized there in Galatians when he said in chapter 3 of that book and verse number 28, and you can look it up for yourself, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. What's, what's bond mean? Well, that's exactly where Onesimus was. He was a bondman. He was a slave. So he means here neither, neither slave nor free. 
There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. He's elevating every Christian to the same standing. He's telling the people of God here in Galatians that people are not greater Christians because they're Jews as opposed to Gentiles. They're not greater Christians because they're free as opposed to being in bondage. They're not greater Christians because they're male rather than female. He says you're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the way it is spiritually in the church. Now obviously Jews didn't suddenly not become Jews because they got saved. Greeks did not lose their nationality just because they got saved. Those who were in bondage, slaves, and those that were free didn't change their positions because they were saved, naturally speaking. And people who were male and people who were female didn't suddenly become something else when they got saved. No, those distinctions were still there. But in the gospel, in spiritual terms, those distinctions were done away with. And this is what Paul is appealing to Philemon on the grounds of, I want you to welcome this man back as a partner, as a fellow laborer. I don't want you to look upon him as a slave. I want you to look upon him as a servant. And so when you look at this appeal that Paul has made, and there's actually four aspects to it, you would ask the question, how could Philemon now fail to receive Onesimus again? How could he do that in light of Paul's appeal? I said last week that Paul was a great example of using tact in dealing with a difficult situation. You'll notice the whole way along he's disarming Philemon. He's giving him reasons why he should not any longer be mad at Onesimus, but receive him in the Lord. And in these appeals, this fourfold appeal, Philemon has been given reasons why he cannot fail to receive Onesimus as a partner. And just to summarize what I've said here, the factors that are to be noted in Paul's appeal in his persuasion of Philemon, you have his first approach, which is to praise Philemon. He's praising him. He's, as it were, massaging his you might say his ego a little bit. He's talking to him about what a great man he is. And, but he does this not in a disingenuous way. He does it because he means it. He says to Philemon, you are our dearly beloved and a fellow laborer. That's how he addresses him in verse 1. He includes his wife then, our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And he also then includes the church in his house. And he goes on to say in verse 4, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. And he gives reasons why he thanks God for him. And talks in verse 7 about the great joy and consolation that he has in the love that Philemon shows because the bowels of the saints were refreshed by him. So you see how he's setting this whole thing up. Telling Philemon, what he believes to be praiseworthy in him. He praises Philemon. But secondly, he uses his own position as being in bondage. There's Paul's hardship. And also that he is Paul the aged. He's of an advanced age. He's more or less saying to Philemon, now you're, going, you're not going to refuse an old man like me, are you? 
That's what he's saying. I am Paul the aged. There in verse 9 we read that. And I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Philemon, I'm in jail. Suffering for the cause of Christ. Can you not receive my appeal generously? There's a third thing. Paul did not command Philemon to accept back Onesimus. He appealed to him. Now let's be clear, Paul was an apostle. Paul was a man of authority. He could easily have said, now I want you to do this because I'm an apostle. I'm telling you to do this. But he didn't. He appealed to him in a gracious manner. And then, as we just noted, Paul elevated Onesimus in the mind of Philemon in four different ways. Now this letter, as I've already indicated, illustrates redemption. It illustrates the gospel. It illustrates the work of Christ for us, especially where Paul speaks of himself there in those verses 18 and following. In verse 18, Paul is aware that there is a debt to be settled. This is clear. He's not saying to Philemon, look, you see that which he stole from you? Just just forget all about it. Just set that aside. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. I know he stole stuff. I know he took your property, but let's just forget all about it. Let's just set that aside. You'll notice Paul didn't say that. And again, this goes to the heart of what I preached this morning. God does not set aside his law in order to exercise mercy. God doesn't say, oh, it doesn't matter about your sin. Just, just forget all about your sin. Well, just set that aside. God doesn't do that. God will pay attention and regard to that sin. He wants payment for that sin. And it'll happen in one of two ways, even in the sinner himself or in the sinner's substitute, Jesus Christ. This is the way God's law operates. It's inflexible. God doesn't set aside his law. God upholds his law. He demands that his law be satisfied. And that's what's happening here in this picture. Paul is not saying to Philemon, I want you to set aside your grievance. I know there's a debt to be settled, but let's just forget all about it. No, he didn't say that. Speaking as a partner, Paul says to him, I want you to charge his indebtedness to me. It was Onesimus who took your goods. And this is obviously at the root of all of this, because in verse 11, Paul says that in time past, Onesimus was to the unprofitable. So he's talking about what he has done by way of stealing his master's goods. And of course, this is spoken of more clearly in verse 18. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. And obviously he did wrong his master and he did owe him. But Paul did not say, let's just forget all about that. He says, I want you to charge his debt to me. And this is a masterly stroke by the apostle in writing this letter. He's using every means to reach Philemon's heart. Go ahead and put that on my account. Treat me as if I am guilty of Onesimus' sin. 
And isn't that what the Lord Jesus has done for us? Put that on mine account. Now, picture in your mind this man, Philemon, receiving this letter. I don't think they had mailboxes in those days. I don't think uh, they had the mailman either. But however they got their mail, he got the letter. Perhaps it was by a pony express or something similar in that day. But he read the letter, and I'm sure he was moved by Paul's appeal. But I'm sure uppermost in his mind was, what about the debt? What about what Onesimus stole from me? What are we going to do about that? If it was money or goods, he would have thought, what am I going to do about that which he stole from me? But with his alert and understanding mind, Paul gives the solution to this in the letter. Charge that to me. Put that on my account. Now if you read verse 18, you will see there that Paul introduces a note of legality. This is a legal matter. This is the way you do things before the law. And Paul says, if you're going to put that on my account... You notice that I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. I've written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. This is a promissory note. This is something that's written with legal standing. It's not just saying, look, I want you to take my word for it. He says, no, let's do this thing properly. Let's do this thing in a legal fashion. Any financial transaction in that day in which a debt was to be recovered would require a binding signature, just as it does in our own day. And that signature, which Paul was going to put on the letter, not not Onesimus, he, Paul, was going to put his signature to the letter, it would be an admission of indebtedness. And it would also be a recognition of obligation. In that verse, Paul's writing out his IOU, if you like. This is what I owe to you. And he put his name to the bill. I have written it with mine own hand. But then he introduces this little caveat. He says, albeit. Think about this, verse 19. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. I'm not going to bring this up, Philemon, but let me bring it up. When you think about it, Philemon, you owe me a lot. You owe me a lot. And so he throws that in there as a reason, if you like, a wise reason why Philemon should say yes to his request. He said, I might owe you something, but I'm not going to talk about how much you owe to me, Philemon. I'm not going to talk about that, but I want you to think about it. That's what he's saying. How much does Philemon owe to Paul? I'll tell you how much he owes him. He owes him his never dying soul. See, Paul was the man through whom Philemon was converted. And who can measure the debt that you owe to that one who preached the gospel to you? Or that one who prayed for you? Or that one who witnessed to you? We know that it's all of God, 
But God uses people. God uses men. Sometimes he'll use a godly mother. And you learn the gospel at her knee. And you owe a tremendous debt to her for telling you about Jesus. Or it might have been a Sunday school teacher. I was very blessed in my youth to be under godly Sunday school teachers. I remember just about all of their names. And some of them are now in glory. I remember when I was back home in Ulster a number of years back, I ran into one of those teachers and was very happy to see him. And he was beaming. I wondered why he was so happy. He told me he'd just been over filling up his car with gas. And some fella approached him and he said, mentioning his name, I'm so-and-so. And he just, the man just didn't remember. He said, remember, I was, I was in your Sunday school class when I was much younger. And he said, through your teaching, I came to Christ. I remember, I remember that Sunday school teacher standing and telling me that story. And uh, he was having a hard time keeping the tears from coming down his cheeks. He was so happy that God had used his faithful week-by-week witness to bring that young man under conviction and bring him to Christ. How many will there be in glory who will be able to say the same thing about a godly Sunday school teacher or somebody who witnessed to them? How much do you owe me, Philemon? I'll tell you how much you owe me. You owe me under God your own soul. And obviously Paul here is referring to his ministry in bringing Philemon to Christ. He was instrumental in his conversion. It has made the difference for him between heaven and hell. Isn't that an amazing thing? How much would that be worth to Philemon? What do you think that's worth, Philemon? How much do you think you owe me under God? So then he goes on from there in verse 20 to say, Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Let me have joy. That statement really derives from a Greek word for profitableness, which actually makes up the name of Onesimus. It's amazing how he's using a play on words here. He's saying, Philemon, could you actually be a true Onesimus to me? His name meant profitable. Let me have profit from your conduct. And when we do what is right, it does bless other people. And then he mentions this phrase, in the Lord. It occurs twice in the verse. And earlier in verse 8, the statement or the, the term in Christ is used. Though I might be bold, much bold, in Christ, in the Lord. And this relates to what we stand to gain through the redemption of the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And throughout Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, we read this term, in Christ. As I preached earlier today, in our justification, we are viewed as being in Christ. And so, in the Lord, this particular term, it always occurs in the context of submission to the Lord and service for Christ. So, basically, what Paul is asking for here 
is for Philemon to yield up his own rights and to yield to the Lord. To show forth that he is a real Christian in the way he deals with Onesimus. The mark of the unbeliever is that he says, Lord, Lord, but he does not what the Lord says. That, Jesus asked the question in Luke six forty six: Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Now, whenever we use the term, or we use the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let me just say to you, you should, you should get into the habit of referring to him in that way. It's not that you can't say Jesus on its own, or the Lord on its own, but his full name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And each of those names is very significant and special. Jesus means Savior. It's from, it is the actual Old Testament word Joshua. Jehovah is Savior. Christ means the anointed or the Messiah. And you see those terms used. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. But then you'll see where men said to him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you have the word Lord. And the Lord shows his right to govern, to rule. So he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the strength of Paul's appeal to Philemon, therefore, is lodged and it's rooted in the Lordship of Christ. If Philemon is to bow in submission and give up his own strong feelings on this matter, he has to do it unto the Lord because of who the Lord is. So it's not just to please Paul, though it would please Paul. It's not just to benefit Paul, though it would benefit him. It would refresh him in the Lord. But it's all about the Lord, ultimately. And look at verse 21. Paul's confidence is expressed here. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. This is a really clever move on Paul's part. Paul is basically saying, Philemon, I know you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. And actually you're going to do more than I'm asking you to do. I have every confidence that that's what you will do. I know you. I know that's how you're going to respond. I've got confidence in you. And so here's the tactfulness and the diplomacy of the Apostle Paul being shown again. You know, Jesus said that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And that's exactly what Paul is expressing and showing forth here. He's a wise man. He's not coming down with a hammer. He's not using the big stick. He's not saying, look, I'm an apostle, and whatever you think, you're to do this. He doesn't treat Philemon in that way. He appeals to his Christian graces and he uses arguments that Philemon is going to find it hard to reject and refuse. You think about this. His tactfulness and his diplomacy in dealing with Philemon is going to make it very difficult for Philemon to refuse. And really there are two reasons for that. Paul has confidence in his obedience, expresses that. And then there's his knowledge that Philemon is going to do more than he's asked. He's going to go the extra mile. That's what Christians do. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? Some, you ask somebody to go 
a mile he'll, he'll go further than that now Philemon is being asked to do something which goes against the grain to begin with let me tell you there are times when that will happen in your Christian life let's take an example somebody does a dirty deed against you somebody does something that betrays your confidence they let you down a bucketful, to use an expression and it makes you mad and your attitude is once bitten twice shy that's never going to happen again I'm not going to allow that to happen again with this person And when someone says to you that you're to forgive that person and you're to seek to put that all behind you, it goes against the grain. It really is difficult. You put yourself in Philemon's shoes. This slave who has no standing whatsoever, he's not a son, he's a slave. He has disgraced Philemon. He's stolen his property. It's going to be really hard for Philemon to take him back and to forget about that money or whatever it was that he stole. But Paul presses him to go even further in the way of forgiveness and to do more than he's asking him to do voluntarily than was asked of him. This is not going to be an easy thing for Philemon. But to enforce the request, Paul wanted him to prepare him a lodging. Paul's going to come there when he gets out of prison and he's asking Philemon if he can stay with him. You will find that in verse 22, but with all, as well as this, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. I know you're praying for me, Philemon. I know you're praying for my release from prison. And when it happens, I want to come and stay with you. Prepare me a lodging. So Paul's writing this letter, but he's also going to come and see Philemon later on. So this letter is preparing the way for the visit. And that coming of Paul to see him would induce him to treat Onesimus well. Paul's hope is that through the prevailing prayers of Philemon, he'll be released from prison. And I just want to pause and say something here. Sometimes people, Christians, have the attitude, I wonder, do my prayers do any good? I mean, isn't the Lord going to do what he's going to do anyway without me praying? That's how people sometimes think. But I want you to see in verse 22, the second part, that Paul didn't believe that. He says, I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. I want you to pray because... Prayer changes things. God does things in answer to prayer. Don't be thinking, well, things are just going to happen anyway without praying. No, God has ordained it that things happen in answer to prayer. If I could put it in a very crude way, prayer works. Or I could put it this way, God works as we pray. Doesn't he tell us that? Ask and ye shall receive. Doesn't he tell us, you have not because you ask not. There is a direct link between our praying or not praying and the outcome. We must pray. God answers prayer. And Paul is confident that through the prayers of Philemon, there's another evidence of the godliness of this man. He's a man of prayer. 
Paul is delighted to ask him for his prayers and, and is appreciating his prayers and knows that he's going to eventually be released from prison through his prayers. And so Paul is making this appeal. And that's what this book is all about. This is an overview of the book, really, that I have given. It kind of leaves it hanging in a way. Did Onesimus receive that forgiveness from Philemon? I believe he did. Did Philemon actually act upon what the Apostle Paul asked him to do? I believe he did. Because he was a godly man. And when you put it all together, what the Apostle said about Philemon you can come to the conclusion that Paul's letter and Paul's appeal was not in vain. And just as Philemon had mercy upon Onesimus, so there's a picture here of the mercy that the Lord extends to us. Let me just close here by giving you a few lessons that we learned from this letter. We're going to be going into it even more deeply as we go along. But what are the lessons that we can learn from the epistle to Philemon. Well, the first one is that forgiveness and compassion are needed among Christians. Christians should be compassionate. Christians should not always be out demanding their pound of flesh. Sometimes we have to accept what has happened and move on in the Christian life. Albeit, that we see repentance from the people who may have sinned against us. But we need to have compassion. We need to exercise and extend forgiveness to others. When somebody says, I'm not willing to forgive that other person, then they might as well think to themselves, what if the Lord dealt with me that way? You know the parable that the Lord gave about the one who was owing his master a certain debt? And that debt was forgiven. But he in turn had somebody who owed him an even lesser debt, a far smaller amount. But he would not forgive him and was willing to let him go to jail until he would pay it. That's not how we're to be. The Lord has forgiven us, therefore we must forgive others. That's the basis of our forgiving of others. Isn't that what's in the Lord's Prayer? And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. That's how it is. Forgiveness and compassion are needed. A second thing is that we should be prepared to sacrifice our own preferences and our own feelings to please the Lord. I'm quite certain that Onesimus was not happy with what, or sorry, Philemon was not happy with what Onesimus did. Not at all. Somebody steals from you and runs away. You're not going to have them in your uh, list of uh, people that you're going to give gifts to. But we have to be prepared to sacrifice our own preferences to please the Lord. This is submission. The third thing, the greatest lesson of all I think that we learned from this book, is that it's a picture of Christ's work on our behalf. Christ is our surety paying our debt, even as Paul was to be the surety for Onesimus. There's the, the, the great truth of identification in that we are one with Christ. 
Paul said, If he hath wronged their oath, they ought put that on mine account. And if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. I realize that you're looking at Onesimus, but if you look at me, think of Onesimus, but think of him as you think of me. That's how it is with us in Christ. We're identified with him. We're one with him. Christ is pictured in Paul's advocacy. Paul is acting as a mediator here. That's a wonderful Bible truth. Jesus prays for us. He makes appeals to the Father for us. And we're also confronted with his second coming because Paul is looking forward to when he will be released from prison and he's going to be received again by Philemon. He's going to return. What he says to Philemon is really tantamount to, I'm coming back. And isn't that what the Lord says to us? I'm coming back. I will appear again and be received by my people. And that coming will evidence his love and pardon for the erring sinner. So it is here with Paul and Philemon. There's a fourth thing, a lesson that we learn from this letter. And it is the change that is always wrought in the sinner when he's converted. It says in verse 11, well, let's read verse 10 to begin with. I beseech thee, I'm asking you, begging you, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. There's a change that has come about. It was a, a prodigal sinner, but now he is a saint. He's a servant of the Lord. There's a change that has come about. And every person who's truly converted is, in fact, an Onesimus. It was Martin Luther who said, all God's people are his Onesimuses. He was unprofitable, but now he's profitable to thee and to me. There's been a change. This is what God does in conversion. And then the last thing I want to mention here is this, that in our relationships with others, we need to use discretion and wisdom. Paul asks Philemon here to give up his own personal rights after showing his own willingness to do the same. Because Paul emphasized this in verse 8, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, I could easily demand this but he says, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being Paul the aged and a prisoner of Jesus Christ. This is a lovely little book because it is a picture of God's salvation and God's grace to one who was a profligate sinner. When you think about Onesimus, you think about a man who didn't deserve anything. He had greatly grieved and offended his master. But his master is being asked here to extend mercy to him. And we're thankful that the Lord has extended mercy to us. The Lord has forgiven us. We owed a great debt. Jesus paid that debt for us. And we can thank him tonight. May the Lord bless our further studies of his word for his name's sake.